seems like we all just slept in and came to church. Praise God that we have an opportunity to come and meet on Palm Sunday that we were able to get together. I want you to look at the passage that is on the insert or turn your Bible in your Bibles to Matthew 21. This will not be the only passage I refer to. I want to use it as a focus on a particular feature of our Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, if you were to look at uh, the Bible in thematic uh, with thematic lenses and look at the different themes, there are uh, three particular themes with regard to the person of our Savior Jesus uh, that really brings the Scripture to life, especially how God unpacks the story of His redemption throughout. If you were to look at the offices that Jesus holds, His office as prophet, that is the truth of God, who speaks the truth of God, the ultimate prophet. You know, the prophets are spokesmen for God. Jesus is the prophet, and he is also a priest. Priests in the Old Testament brought sacrifices that represented the people and their sins. But Jesus is the great high priest who is the sacrifice. So he's a prophet and he's a priest. Uh, he's the fulfillment of those offices in the Old Testament in one person. And he is, of course, thirdly, king. Jesus is the king. And you know the kings in the Old Testament, as Pastor Nathan has worked through the book of 1 Samuel, they were flawed, severely flawed. Even the best of them were poor. Jesus is the ultimate king. And I want to spend some time this evening focusing on Jesus as king because it has profound practical implications. It relates to every second of your existence. It's that all-inclusive, the kingship of Jesus. And Him coming, though not the most glorious showing of His kingship, His coming here on Palm Sunday in the so-called triumphal entry is a glimpse of who He is as King. Hear God's Word as I read Matthew 21, 1 through 11. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go into the village in front of you and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say the Lord needs them and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet saying, say to the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, who is this? And the crowd said, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, there were certainly a mixture of thoughts and beliefs among that crowd on Palm Sunday some 2,000 years ago. What we know for certain is you were king 
before you got on that donkey. And you are even more exalted as king this day. Give us a renewed glimpse of your kingship that we might rest, that every person here might rest more fully in you and bring you all the praise that you deserve. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, monarchies are not really very popular today. In fact, I would argue that monarchies have never been very popular. Now, they are popular after a king or queen is gone and people romanticize their reign and look back at it, or perhaps they find themselves under a worse king and they think back to the glory days of the other king or the other queen. But generally speaking, because of the flawed nature of man, our brokenness, uh, kings and queens don't work out so well or emperors, or empresses, or whatever they call themselves, those who are sovereign over a people. Now, theoretically, it should be a great system. It would be the best system if it was a benevolent king, right? But we have no such examples, at least not in a consistent way, of any such kings or queens who have ever lived. So it's difficult for us to think in terms that are positive with regard to kingship or queenship. A king is a sovereign one. That means completely in control over all the details of the people he or she governs. A king is a ruler. A king is one who orders things by the word of their mouth. King is one who protects. Well, Jesus Christ in scripture is portrayed as the king who he is. And he reigns now as that king who fulfills all these things. As we listen to Pastor Nathan pray that was Galen's prayer, I talked to Galen earlier in the week and told him what I was going to preach about, and I was interested to hear how he uh, expressed Jesus' kingship over the spiritual kingdom, which is far more reaching than any sovereign state. In 1 Timothy 6, God the King is described as the one who is the blessed and only sovereign. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Now, here's the very practical reality of this truth about Jesus' King. This is what I want you to grab hold of as you consider your king. King Jesus is your personal king. He is our corporate king. And he can be completely trusted in every facet of your life. There's no area that's so small that King Jesus doesn't care about it. There's no such facet of your life that does not fall under the kingship of your Savior Jesus. King Jesus can be trusted in every facet of your life And because of this, we can obey him in full trust, and we can do so at any price. And some of you are going to be asked to pay a great price for obedience to King Jesus. If you're in school today, maybe you have pressure from people who are supposed to be your friends. And it's really about allegiance to King Jesus or not. It could be happening at your workplace It could be happening in your social group, in your neighborhood, whatever it may be. There will be pressures brought to bear because you bear the name of Christian and Jesus is your king. But because he's trustworthy completely in every facet of your life, every, all the smallest details even, you can trust him and obedience to him is worth any price. You know, some of you have encountered huge life changes in the last weeks and months. 
many of you will encounter huge life changes in the weeks and the months to come. It's inevitable. It's going to happen in many of our lives. No one's life will be exactly the same a month from now as it is today. It just won't. The nature of life, always changing, always challenging. Some in our church family have lost greatly over the last weeks and months. We've experienced the joy of new additions by births and new members. The unpredictability of life happens and it hits us. It challenges us. I was thinking of just some of our church officers recently. I tried to pray for them regularly by name and there are more issues that I can remember in the past. I was thinking of Larry Morse, our longtime deacon who really had an abrupt job change after nine years, which is a long time in a church that's less than 20 years old. I uh, had, to, had to move to Oklahoma within really about two weeks of know, knowing this. And there's Norma, who is ready to go see him in this huge change of life, buying a house there, selling a house there. And she falls in the church parking lot where she's doing a Bible study. and doesn't just break her leg. I mean, she shatters her ankle, 12 screws to hold this thing together. I mean, that's just a huge challenge for them at this moment that they could have never foreseen a month ago. Thinking of Mike. Dameron, our deacon, who also had basically a routine checkup and finds out he has a heart situation that has to be taken care of. God, uh, praise God that he's okay, but that was a surprise to him and everybody else, I'm sure. Thinking of Galen. Galen has had his taken his lumps, our faithful elder, founding elder of our church, Galen, just taking his dog out for a walk, ends up falling in such a way, and God spared him of more serious injury, but he was hurt pretty good. He's got surgery tomorrow on his shoulder. Like These things you don't plan for, they just happen. And that's part of life, isn't it? I mean, we know this, and several of you could fill in all sorts of stories that have occurred to you over the course of these last weeks and months. I was thinking some of the joys. In fact, Joy Hillier, one of our college students, lost her mom this year, very abruptly as well. Terrible, terrible, difficult, grieving time for her. But yet, God also appointed her to her future mate. She was just engaged to be married not too long ago. Think of Jacob Voss, who was just a little kid when I first came to Redeemer. He, too, not only has he graduated from college, but he is engaged to be married as well. Students graduating, students getting accepted into this or that school or program, getting a new job, transferring into this phase of their life, all these things. You know, life doesn't slow down for analysis or time to... to, to check it all out. It just keeps coming at us. Good things, challenging things, difficult things, all sorts of things. Jesus Christ is king of all of it. Jesus as king is profoundly practical and real. Jesus as king absolutely alters the meaning of your life, and that's not an overstatement. Jesus as king colors everything. Get out of your mind the idea of some fat king who sits on a throne and doesn't really know what's happening with his people. That's not King Jesus. Jesus is intimately involved with every one of those details I mentioned, even the smaller ones that make up those bigger ones. There are few realities more impacting than Jesus as the sovereign king over all things. It's glorious to study the person of Jesus in his totality as being prophet, as being priest. But as we consider him as king, please see how profoundly real it is to our lives. I was thinking of our confessional statement talking about the sovereign watch care of God over his creation and his people. And in the second chapter, it says, he has most sovereign dominion over them. That's all his created things. 
to do by them, for them, or upon them whatsoever himself pleases. You can't get more holistic than the kingship of our God over us. Later in the confession, in the 23rd chapter, it says, God, the supreme Lord and King of all the world, has ordained civil magistrates to be under him. Even those we see as in power are actually under the authority of King Jesus. Whether they acknowledge it or not is not the point. They are under him and they can be removed that quickly. And they are the world over. We've seen those kinds of transitions in the world in just the last six months. It can happen tomorrow. Those who are the most powerful on earth are really not powerful at all when related to the power and authority of King Jesus. I'll say it again to you as we consider King Jesus. He can be trusted in every facet of your life and obedience to him is worth any price. On this Palm Sunday, let's consider uh, from this public display of him as king coming into Jerusalem for this last time before his sacrifice. Let's consider how he is revealed very briefly as king throughout the scriptures. We know that Jesus was foretold as the king to come many, many, many years before he actually came. Being king wasn't something Jesus planned during his teenage years or uh, he had some exact strategy worked out in his young adult life. Jesus was the joint ruler of the universe together with the Trinity before, the, before agreeing to come and accomplish redemption for sinful man. And coming to earth, he gave up independent access to some of his heavenly attributes, but only so that he might bring his kingship into time and space and bring redemption to those to whom the Father had given him. You might say that he descended in order to ascend to his throne as king. The kingship of Jesus in real time was forecasted centuries before. Think about this. 1,000 years before the time that we read about here as he comes into Jerusalem. 1,000 years. That's 3,000 years ago. The prophet Samuel records the discussion he has with David saying, When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, David, when you die, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. I think when we think of the Bible stories, we think David lived and not too long after Jesus lived. 1,000 years after David, Jesus lived. And it was forecasted in the time of David that there would be one who would take his throne forever and never give it up. The prophet Samuel says to David, He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Well, 300 years after David comes the prophet Isaiah. As the two kingdoms are, are in existence in Israel, one of them is tottering at the time Isaiah writes. He says, To us a child is born, a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice. The foretelling of King Jesus coming. Still 700 years before Jesus rides on the full of that donkey to Jerusalem. 100 years after the time of Isaiah, the weeping prophet Jeremiah comes. Now the southern kingdom is teetering. The northern kingdom had long been taken. Now the southern kingdom was teetering. And there was great despair. And the weeping prophet speaks to the thing that will give them hope. The coming king. The real king. The final king. The ultimate king. 
Jeremiah 23, 5, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king and deal wisely, and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. Now, I want you not just to think in macro terms when I say this. Think of your life. He will rule your life with justice and care and righteousness, even when it doesn't feel just like that. He will, because that's the king he is. So when something happens that I don't understand, or I can't bring myself to say, but God ordained that, I can know that he does what's right and he does what's good even when it doesn't register that way for me at that moment because he's that kind of a king. That was 600 years before the time of Jesus that Jeremiah speaks these words in a time of great desperation. A hundred years after Jeremiah, 500 years before the time of Jesus, the prophet Zechariah says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Behold the man whose name is the branch... He's tying back into that picture from the Davidic prophecies of the king. For he shall branch out from his place and shall build the temple of the Lord. It is he who shall build the temple of the Lord and shall bear royal honor and shall sit and rule over his throne. And there shall be a priest. This is interesting. 500 years before the time of Jesus' coming, he says that there will be a priest on his throne. There were no priests on the throne in the Old Testament. But Jesus, the great high priest, is also king. And he'll come and sit on the throne. Zechariah 9, verse 9, 500 years before the time of King Jesus' coming. He says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteousness, righteous and having salvation is his. Humble, mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. So when you read the Palm Sunday passage that I read just about every year, the one we just read, Remember that that little section from Zechariah is a buildup of 500 years of prophecies that start a thousand years before the time of Jesus' coming. It's not haphazard. It's not Jesus just was awakened to his, his mission to go take the kingship. No, this was long past planned by God. And the same king who cares about every one of these details cares about every detail of your life. There's not one that goes unnoticed by your king. Consider how the king comes. We read in the... The Lucan passage, you don't have to turn there, but I'll remind you of that passage that talks about Jesus' coming that we read just in the Advent season. Behold, you will conceive in your womb, speaking to Mary, and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. He comes as in this humble estate as a baby. And Jesus then spoke regularly through his life of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven. These are synonymous terms. But they mean really a multitude of things and cover a wide range of sovereignty. The kingdom of God is at hand, it is said in the scriptures by Jesus. The kingdom of God is here. The kingdom of God is coming. The kingdom of God, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, spoken of regularly by Jesus who gives us the gospel of the kingdom. The kingdom of God in its widest sense means God's sovereign rule over all things. The kingdom of God in its narrower sense means King Jesus' personal lordship over his people in particular. The kingdom of God in any sense refers to the kingship of God and his Christ. I love how Handel, when he writes Messiah, uses that, that section of Revelation 11. The kingdom of this world is become the kingdom of our Lord and his Christ. And he shall reign forever and ever. Of Jesus' three offices, his earthly ministry focused more on his role as prophet and priest, there's no doubt. The whole of his life, he revealed truth by his words and deed as a prophet. 
He was a prophet of prophets. His apostles took over the prophetic role of the New Testament and they're referred to apostles of Jesus Christ. So he redefines the prophetic office by his very coming to earth, being the prophet. The majority of the gospel accounts refer to Jesus' role as sacrificing priest, bringing himself, the perfect lamb of God, as the greatest and last necessary sacrifice. Yes, more focus is on Jesus as prophet and priest, but his coming to Jerusalem on Palm Sunday alerts us to his kingship also. This is why when they spread their cloaks on the ground, I don't know that the crowd as a whole understood the totality of what they were saying, but they said, Hosanna to the son of David, save now. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So much greater than an earthly, temporary, political, social, liberating king is King Jesus, who when they cry out Hosanna, whether they understand what they're saying or not, he does more than what they could ever possibly ask or imagine. He provides for real salvation so they could really be saved now. Notice also that the king comes and then sacrifices. The king sacrifices. He had plenty of chances to deny his being king when he was arrested, tried, convicted, and put to death. When Pilate says, behold your king, and holds the badly scourged Jesus before the crowd, Jesus doesn't say, wait, I'm not the king. He doesn't say that. While being mocked, he owns the title because he is king. Jesus never denies his kingship, even in the face of mocking. In Matthew 27, Jesus stood before the governor Pilate, and the governor asked him, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus said, you have said so. Now, Jesus differentiates between what Pilate's thinking of in terms of king and what he really is, but he never denies he's king. And he does so in order to bring himself as sacrifice. King Jesus is no usual king. His willingness and determination to take the place of his people to be our sacrifice makes him the most amazing of all kings ever. For all the kings and queens we see of on earth, I don't see Queen Elizabeth living in the slums of Great Britain. Not for a moment. But King Jesus does just this. Even with a mocking sign on the top of the cross, the king who is also priest sacrifices himself for us. And this mocking sign says, King of the Jews. And the statement is made, may his blood be upon them. And again, they don't even know what they're saying. But his blood upon us is what brings us life. And Jesus never denies the designation of king, even as he is sacrificed. But Jesus doesn't stay dead. We know this, and this is what we look forward to next Sunday as we celebrate in in focused form the resurrection. We think of it this week, and Good Friday we'll meet again at 7 o'clock, and we will contemplate the sacrifice of Jesus for us. But he does not stay in the grave. The king is alive. The king rises again. If there was any doubt before... It was gone when King Jesus defeated death. On the third day, he rose again and appeared to many. The first people he appeared to were those faithful women who supported him the whole of his ministry. And when they got to the tomb, the stone was rolled away and the angels told them that Jesus, King Jesus, had risen again. And it says in Matthew 28, so they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, greetings. And they came and took hold of his feet And they worshipped him. And Jesus didn't say, stop. He accepted that worship because he's king. And he's alive. 
King Jesus alive, the rightful sovereign over all things. And that King Jesus cares about every detail of your life right now. Whatever you're stressed about right now that makes it difficult for you to listen to me speak, he cares about. And he's not upset with you for being distracted about it. Because he loves you that much. He's your king. God gave him the name above all names. And Jesus accepts the worship that only a king deserves. In Philippians 2, Paul speaks of Jesus, that God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And this speaks to the reality that we can trust Jesus so much that it is worth it, whatever the price, to obey him. Because he has the name above all names. Whether people on earth acknowledge it or not, we know that will be the ultimate realization for all. So obey him now no matter what it costs. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. God the Father is referred to as King. God the Son, the Lord Jesus, is referred to as King. The phrase King of Kings is used in the New Testament three times. In every instance referring to Jesus. The phrase Lord of Lords is used several times to refer to God. The phrase King of Kings and Lord of Lords is only used to refer to Jesus in Revelation. The resurrection is the beginning of the exaltation of King Jesus. Our King is alive, and then He is exalted upon, or starting with His resurrection. He is exalted in a way that's greater than His exaltation or His state before when He reigned with the Father in eternity past. The resurrection is the beginning of the exaltation of King Jesus, but not the end. The King is exalted and reigns. Jesus being raised up is God's declaration of the worthiness and acceptance of Christ's sacrifice. Jesus being raised is also the beginning of his exaltation and his reestablishment, you might say, for lack of a more technical term, at the right hand of God as king. After he rose again, he stayed 40 days on the earth preparing his followers for the great kingdom advance that would start with the apostolic age. At the end of those 40 days, he ascended to his throne in heaven in the most glorious way. In their sight, he ascends into heaven. And then when... Peter is preaching at the same sermon I referenced during the baptism. When Peter is preaching, you remember Peter, who Peter was, and how chicken he was before. And now, after seeing the king rise again and ascend, he's not chicken any longer. And he says the king is worth any price to obey. And he preaches a sermon where he basically looks at his people in the face, who are not really ready to hear this, you killed him. And then starts to explain the significance of Jesus and who he is as king. In Acts 2, verse 30, Peter's referring to King David. He says, David, being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of Christ. So Peter's drawing the prophecies of David a thousand years before together with the resurrection of Jesus, that he was not abandoned to the grave, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus, Peter says, God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. We've seen this. At that time, over 500 people had seen the risen Jesus. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. Jesus is exalted as the acting king of all creation when he ascends into heaven. Peter declares it. It's true from heaven, and he advances his kingdom from heaven until his enemies are a footstool for him before he should return again. King Jesus sits in equal rule and authority with God the Father. That's what it means to sit at the right hand 
of the king himself is to be an equal power and authority. From the right hand of God, King Jesus rules over the affairs of all men and all things and your schedule, in your life, in your provisions, in everything that matters to you. Jesus as king is profoundly practical. Jesus as king absolutely alters the meaning of your life, the significance of your life, what every moment means. Jesus as king colors everything. There are few realities I would submit to you more impacting than Jesus as sovereign king over all things. King Jesus can be trusted in every facet of your life and obedience to him is absolutely worth any price. Writing to a young pastor, the apostle Paul tells Timothy some of the most remarkable things. He says, I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus who is in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession to keep the commandment unsustained, unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will display at the proper time. He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light. This king is absolutely worth whatever price it costs us. One of the great stories of all church history happens in Scotland at the, about the middle of the 16th century. There was this epoch in time in Scotland where Christianity was embraced. Biblical Christianity was actually embraced. It was even codified in a confession. And the people were, by law, allowed to practice their Christianity and advance it even. But as usually happens, it didn't last for long. But while it was lasting, those people covenanted together to only ever bow to King Jesus. Now, it's not that they would not submit to governing authorities, but not authorities that would tell them to worship in a different way or worship somebody else. And these Scottish believers were faced with a real dilemma when King James came to the throne and tried to sway them back to the state church, which was severely obscuring the word of God and the gospel of Christ. They made a covenant Two times they got together and made covenants and said, we will not acknowledge this divine right to the throne that the king says he has. Because King James was saying, God's made me king and you must listen to me, as if his word was the word of God. And these covenanters said, we will not do this. Only King Jesus. And for their banner, for the word of God and the testimony of Jesus, they had printed, for Christ's crown and covenant, they became known as the Scottish Covenanters, opposing the theory of divine, the divine right of kings. Again, not because they were not submissive to governing powers, but they would not bow to any king except King Jesus. Jonas Clark of our own country in 1775, over 150 years after the Covenanters carrying on this tradition, said in the new world, we recognize no sovereign but God and no king but Jesus. Well, the king was foretold, he came, he sacrificed, he was made alive, he was exalted, he is sitting at the right hand of the Father, he is worth, and you can count on him and trust him for everything and obey him no matter what the price. And remember this, brothers and sisters, something we don't accent enough perhaps, this king who is seated at the right hand of the Father will come again in glory, literally, actually, again. This is... The heart of what Matthew is recording in Matthew 25 when it says, when Jesus says, the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him. He will sit on His glorious throne. 
before him, they will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates between the sheep and the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on his left hand. And then the king will say to those on the right, come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. And that great passage in the New Testament also about the resurrection in 1 Corinthians 15, which we'll get to probably in about a year in 1 Corinthians. But 1 Corinthians 15 makes this declaration also about the risen king who will come again. Then comes the end, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, when he delivers the kingdom to, the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. The picture is Jesus is ruling at the right hand of the Father now in real time. And he is winning over those who have been given to him. And at the right time, whenever that time is, and we don't know that exact time, but when that time comes, he will deliver that kingdom over to the Father, as it were. After destroying every rule and every authority and power, for he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For God has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when it says all things are put in subjection, it is plain that he has accepted those put all things in subjection under him. When all things are subjected to him, then the son himself will also be subjected to him who put all things in subjection under him and God may be all in all. This picture of the consummation of the ages. The scriptures, my brothers and sisters, declare that Jesus is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And Palm Sunday, it's a brief reminder at the beginning of so-called Holy Week The time of Christ's role as priest is most accented that King Jesus has come and is reigning and will come again. King Jesus can be trusted in every facet of your life and obedience to him is absolutely worth any price. To speak of the kingship of Christ, we are speaking of the sovereignty of our God. And Pink, A.W. Pink says it so wonderfully. The sovereignty of God. You might say his kingship. What do we mean by this expression, Pink asks? We mean the supremacy of God, the kingship of God, the godhood of God. To say that God is sovereign is to declare that God is God. To say that God is sovereign is to declare that he is the most high, doing according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of earth, so that none can stay his hand or say unto him, what doest thou? Perhaps recent days for you have been difficult and disappointing. Perhaps recent days have been filled with many unexpected blessings. Life doesn't slow down for analysis. Good things, challenging things, difficult things, all sorts of things. Jesus Christ is the king of it all. Jesus' king is profoundly practical. I hope you see this. Jesus' king absolutely alters the meaning of your life. Jesus, when you stop caring, when we go out of here and we're laughing and having a good time, he doesn't stop being king over those moments. Jesus as king absolutely colors everything. There are few realities more impacting than Jesus as the sovereign king over all things, including your very life. Let's pray. Lord God, uh, the kingship of our Lord Jesus is absolute irresistible, infinite. Lord Jesus, when we say that you are king, 
We are affirming your sovereignty. We are affirming your right to govern the universe which you have made for your own glory. We affirm that your right is the right of the potter over the clay. At the same time, because of the loving kindness that you've shown us on the cross and by adoption, we are given great, great, great comfort in the face of all sorts of crazy life circumstances that we cannot usually understand completely. Some, we, we have no idea why they happen the way they do, these things. We acknowledge you to be in complete control over whatsoever comes to pass, whether we understand it or not. And we rest in your goodness and your righteousness and your care for us, that whatsoever you ordain that comes to pass is according to your good pleasure and your will, which will ultimately bring your glory, which we will sense at some point as our great good. So we find our rest in you. Lord, reassure your people this day that you can be trusted in every facet of our life. And obeying you is worth any price. I pray this in your most holy name. Amen. Let us together respond uh, to the word of God preached by turning to 311. We'll just sing verse 1 of hail to the Lord's anointed as the elders come to prepare the table. Verse 1, let's stand as we sing 311.